In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord hand, Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at the DI Fellowship. And a, again, a warm welcome to all this morning. As we begin a new series looking at the book of Ruth, I want to begin with another word of prayer. So please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are now in the thick of summer, and some parents in the room are saying, thank you, thank God, and others are saying, why me, right? Because now there's less structure around the day. So I don't know what your summers are like, but for us, my wife teaches, she's here in the front row, she teaches fourth grade. And when summer hits, we try to just unplug right out of the gate and go to the mountains. And uh, 
As I look at this passage, I want to begin with the story of us going to the mountains. But I want to ask this question. Have you ever planned a great trip that ended in disappointment? Have you ever planned a great trip that ended in disappointment? You see, this year we were going to a new place. It's called Lake Jocassee. It's right on the border of South Carolina and North Carolina. Who's been to Lake Jocassee? Raise your hand. It's a gorgeous lake with a backdrop of mountains. It's over 300 feet deep. It's very expansive, and it's been termed the Caribbean of the mountains. Crystal clear water. Um, there are a lot of cliffs to jump off of if you like that sort of thing. Real peaceful because there aren't a lot of homes on Lake Jocassee. So I believe it was the first week of June that we rented a little cabin up at Lake Jocassee and uh, we were really excited about what the trip would hold. In fact, here's a, a picture of Jocassee. Isn't it gorgeous? And you see the mountain peaks, and it just weaves in and through uh, those valleys. And here's a picture of uh, one of our kids about to jump off of a cliff. Now, I know some of you want to get up right now and say, I don't trust this pastor because he's leading his kids into danger. If you need to go, you need to go. But this is a tradition that my dad cultivated in my heart that we're passing on to our kids, which is a love of adventure, a love of God's creation, getting outside. And so here at Jocassee, there are walls of cliffs, and uh, you can jump off a little five-foot cliff. Here, Blaze is around 25 to 30 feet in the air, and he's like, the world is my oyster. Look at him, right? So he is a uh, He's so excited, and it was a great um, first three days. We were scheduled to be there five to six days, and you see, we looked at the, the weather app, and we realized when it says 90% chance of rain and severe weather alerts or 100% chance of rain, we would be in trouble because we only rented a two-bedroom cabin for five giants. The giant that was welcoming you in this morning, that's my 15-year-old 6'6", six, seven uh, son. So imagine the Sorensons in a little two-bedroom cabin in the mountains, and it's downpouring. So what do we do? Some of you guys know. We pull out this game. What is this game? Catan, Settlers of Catan or Catan. And we typically love this game unless we play it too much. So the first day was great, right? Like we, we sat around. We probably played like six games the first day, we had a lot of fun. And for those who've not played Catan, it's kind of like Monopoly meets Risk, something like that. And um, anyway, but by the evening of the second day when it's monsooning, uh, a couple things happened. First, my middle son, he just kind of went off the rails because uh, I don't think he cares necessarily about winning. He just cares about doing something within the game called the longest road, right? He's like, I just need the longest road. Dad, I need the longest road. Like he loses sight of the goal just to get the longest road. So we let him go there. My daughter by the end was just getting claustrophobic. And she's like, I can't win. I can't do anything right. And then our giant son, our 15-year-old's like, stop whining. All is well. And he's killing everybody, right? Of course all's well because he's winning, right? And it finally got to the point where I said, I can't play anymore. This is miserable. And so I said, time out, guys, time out. I think like 12 to 15 games of Catan, like 
that's overdosing, right? So I, I went to our little like matchbox little uh, bedroom and Carly followed me in there and she says, I don't want to be here anymore, <laughs> right? Like we kind of burned out of each other, right? And so believe it or not, I said, okay, let's measure our options. And we talked it through as a family and we actually drove home a night early in the middle of like this monsoon, you might remember a couple weeks ago, and everyone got at home and we were like, thank God we're home, right? Can any of you relate to that story, right? So as we turn our attention this summer to the book of Ruth, I, I love this book because it's so relatable to all of us. To, to everyone in this room, I think we will be able to relate to the story and the characters in this book of Ruth. You see, as we'll look at, it starts with this family going on a trip leaving home so that they would flourish in another place. And we'll discover it all goes off the rails. And I think the big idea um, from our passage this morning is this. God is sovereign over all of life, and he can turn our tragedy into triumph. God is sovereign over all of life. He can turn our tragedy into triumph. And we'll see God is sovereign over the hurting family. He's sovereign over the haughty nation. And he's sovereign over the humble foreigner. So let's dive in. Point number one, God is sovereign over the hurting family. Our passage begins, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So as we preach and share from God's word, there's no text without context. So what's the context of this passage in this book? Well, it's easy to skip over that first line where it says it was the time of Judges. But this was a very, very dark time in the nature of Israel's history. You see, this is between the time of Joshua, we're going to go and take the promised land, be strong and courageous, and the time of Saul, the first official king of Israel. And it's a dark time. Why? Because there's all sorts of violence and atrocious sin, people being taken advantage of left and right. In addition to that, there's foreign armies, enemies trying to conquer, conquer Israel, and there's not a lot of unity. The, the land or the people are ruled by something called judges. But really, they're kind of military tribal leaders. They're localized leaders, so there's not a lot of unity in the land. So that's the backdrop of this book of Ruth. And it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the, in the land. So put it simply, violence and famine ruled the land. And the dad, Elimelech, said, enough. We got to get out of here. And, and, he, and he packed up his family and left Bethlehem, which ironically means house of bread, where there was no bread. And he went to a foreign land, risking everything, right? According to theologian Robert Hubbard, this family left the familiar for the unfamiliar, the known for the unknown. The foursome was legally a stranger, and so was its world. Further, to seek refuge in Moab, Israel's enemy throughout history, was both shameful and dangerous. 
Nonetheless, they went. And the passage continues. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. You see, the dark time became the darkest of times for Naomi. And perhaps that's your experience today in your life. I can only imagine she'd lost her husband. She's lost her son. She's lost any hope for an heir to carry her name. There were no babies in the picture. And that would have been the most shameful thing for a person to carry. Her name, her husband's name, would cease to exist. She's a foreigner, a widow in a foreign land, utterly hopeless and helpless. But maybe some of you are hurting like Naomi today. Maybe some of you have experienced loss or are experiencing loss. Loss of a loved one, loss of a friend, loss of a marriage, loss of a job. Maybe no matter what you're looking at, there's no solution, there's no answer. That's where Naomi finds herself at to begin this book. And yet I want you to notice something. God doesn't forget her pain. Her pain serves as the foundation for this story. And might it be for you as well. Point number one, God is sovereign over the hurting family. Point number two, God is sovereign over the haughty nation. Uh, this past weekend, uh, we sponsored a private premiere for this movie called Emmanuel that just came out. Anyone go and see Emmanuel this week? It, it is the hardest movie. It's a documentary. Uh, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever seen. It's the story of four years ago when nine African-Americans were worshiping, uh, enjoying a Bible study down at Emmanuel Amy Church in Charleston, and a white supremacist uh, named Dylan Roof walked in and gunned down nine lives. And uh, we were given the opportunity, along with 29 other churches in the city of Charleston, to rent out the Gale Yard Center last weekend for the victims, their families, and Emmanuel Church so they could have a private premiere of the movie. And as the movie began, and they showed different video of this murderer walking into the church, it's very raw. You hear wailing from some of the family members, just screaming, ah! And it was gut-wrenching to be there. You see, something I noticed is that what we notice here in our text, when people do as they see fit, pain and suffering soon follows. That's what happened in the nation of Israel. They were going off the rails. It says in the book of Judges, there was no king. And so it is with Dylan Roof. He said, I'm gonna do what I see fit. I'm gonna incite a race war. And the way I'm gonna do that is go shed innocent black blood in Charleston, South Carolina at one of the most beautiful historic churches they have. And so he walks in, doing as he sees, sees fit. And it, here's what I also came to discover last Saturday. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, something astonishing happened after this young man took the lives of these nine believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus. 
they went to prayer. And uh, he was eventually arrested, I think, in North Carolina fleeing. And at his bond hearing that very week after he had murdered brothers and sisters, moms and dads, grandmothers, the judge did something interesting that never happens in a bond hearing. He allowed the family members to speak to this man. And as the families of Emmanuel confronted the murderer, God showed up. They said, Mr. Roof, we forgive you in the name of Jesus. Over and over again, we forgive you. Repent and believe so that you may be saved. We forgive you. God loves you. It was a staggering extension, shocking extension of love and forgiveness and grace that rippled throughout our country, rippled throughout the world, and is still rippling this week and and in this season, four years later. So much so that uh, movie theaters across our country were rented out even by celebrities. People were bussed in to see this movie. And sometimes there are events that so shock a nation that people cannot help but turn back to God. The murder was shocking, but more so the grace extended by the Emmanuel Church and the families there. And something similar is happening in our text. In the Old Testament, we read these words, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And see, what happens here, Naomi's living in Moab and something happens where God shows back up in Israel. It says, the scripture says, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing for them, food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. You see, implicit in this text, embedded in this text, Israel in their wickedness and violence and famine had said, God, we need you. We need you. And note this. Naomi, despite her pain, does not lose her faith. She's still able, a country over, to hear and see what God's doing in the midst of her suffering. And note also that God, despite Israel's arrogance and violence, comes to their aid. I don't know about you, but in my own heart, when I read a story like this or when I watch a movie like Emmanuel, it cuts right to the core of who I am. Any haughtiness where I think I've got it together, God convicts me. He turns me back to him. I don't know about you, but I think we could use some prayer in our country right now. I think we could cry out, turn our faces back to God, confess our sins and say, we need you. And guess what? God will show up as he promises to show up. If you cry out to him this morning, He will show up in your life, and he will show up in our land. God is not just sovereign over the hurting family. He's sovereign over the haughty nation. And point number three, God is sovereign over the humble foreigner. I love how the story ends in chapter one. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. 
May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown the kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then several passages, uh, verses later, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even in death, uh, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Here, there's a principle called hesed. It says, you have been hesed to my sons. You've been kind. Now may God be hesed to you. And it's this idea of covenantal loyalty, loving loyalty. Naomi's saying, may you experience that the rest of your life, but go in peace. And Ruth's like, no, I'm called to serve and suffer and stand with you. And you'll see this kind of term hesed throughout the book of Ruth. The covenantal loyalty between people and the overarching covenant and loyalty of God to them and to us. And what I love about this is Ruth is the ultimate outsider. And yet we learn that no matter your background, there are no limits to what God can accomplish through your life. Let me repeat that. That Looking at this passage, there's no matter your background, there's no limit to what God can accomplish in your life. Why do I say that? Because as an outsider, Ruth becomes the ultimate insider. As we shift from the book of Judges into Ruth, it says everyone did as they saw fit because there was no king in the land. There's this longing for God's favor, for him to send a king to redeem the people to lead and to protect them. And guess what? Who does he choose to make that happen? This woman, Ruth, who says, I'm here, Lord. I'm going to go with you, Naomi. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Even unto death, no matter what it costs me. As we will discover over the summer, uh, Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David. And I don't know about some of you, some of our Bible nerds in here, but if you open up the Bible and you see some of these genealogies, I know when I was a young Christian, I was like, why are there lists and pages of names? I'll tell you why. You open up Matthew chapter one and you look through the genealogy of Jesus, King Jesus, and guess whose name is right there? The foreigner, the humble foreigner, Ruth. God can accomplish anything as you submit or as we submit ourselves to him. But there's only one qualifier, which is this. Are you willing to set aside what you want to accomplish what God needs? See, Ruth, it would have been much easier for her to follow her other, her sister-in-law, Orpah, and say, you know what? I'm going to stay with my family and with my people, my place, It's going to be safe there. I'll be provided there. No, she goes with Naomi. She sets aside her dreams because somehow God is wooing her. 
to offer hesed, loving loyalty to Naomi. And what I love about our church, we're going to do a test. I did this in the first service. How many of you were born in the city of Charleston, South Carolina? Raise your hand. Two people. We had one little guy. He was like three. I didn't see him at first in the first service. He's like shooting his arm up in the corner. We have two people here today that are natives of Charleston. Let that sink in. We are a church of outsiders. Might it be that God wants to raise us up for this time and for this place and for this city to offer hesed, loving loyalty and kindness and commitment to say, I'm with you. We're here with you. We're for you. We want to see you flourish. How can I serve you? How can we come and rally around you, Charleston? In these moments like Emmanuel and other moments, how can we bring about, bring forth the gospel, the good news here and now? I don't know about you, that excites me. God is sovereign even over the humble foreigner or outsider. So to conclude, God is sovereign over all of life and he can turn our tragedy into triumph. So question, are you hurting this morning? Might it be that God's calling you to trust him? He's not forgotten you. Might it be that he's calling you to lay a foundation with the pain and suffering you're going through so that he could show up? I invite you, if you're hurting, to draw close to God, not run away from him. Do you recognize any haughtiness in you or around you? Might it be time that we drop to our knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinful man or woman. Lord, have mercy on us because we're a sinful country and there's hostilities that divide. Way too mended, way too many people wounded over and over again. Way too much division. Or are you sensing a humility bubbling up in you where God is saying, go with me. Bobby, go with me. Eric, go with me and see what I can accomplish through your life. Let's do it. Let's draw near to God. Let's pray as we close this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we do pray that you would search us and know us. And if there's any offensive way in us, you'd remove it and fill us with your grace and your love and your peace, your chesed this morning. God, may we draw inspiration from Ruth and transformation as you fill us with your Holy Spirit to be what our families need, what our workplaces need, what our city needs, and what our world needs. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.